welcome to episode 52 of Reading Between the Reels. I'm your host, Craig Dickinson. Today, I'm joined once again by Jeff McGee. Thanks for being here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And also joining us tonight is a good friend of mine, someone I've been trying to get on the show for a while now, Corey Heitschmidt. Welcome, Corey. Thanks for having me, Craig. Looking forward to it. And today on the show, guys, we are going to be, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about Tombstone. Yes. 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 Yeah. With these these last few episodes, we've not really had uh, anything current to, to line up with. Well, like that's that tends to be what I like to do with well, with the shows. Or is look. Oh, there's a movie out now. This kind of reminds me of of a of a past movie. And look at that. But really, just the last two, especially Die Hard. That's one of my favorites. And Tombstone, another one of my favorites. And you just want to talk about it because it's so fun. So uh, let's go ahead and start off. Um, Jeff, why don't you start with what are your overall thoughts on Tombstone? Yeah, Tombstone, it's it's one of those movies that I, I don't know anybody who doesn't like it. You mentioned Tombstone to anybody like, oh, I love that movie. And they immediately quote, I'm your Huckleberry. And everybody has a bad, every, almost everybody has, a, you, you hear almost as many bad Val Kilmer impersonations as you do uh, Elvis or Forrest Gump impersonations when you bring up Tombstone. But it really is. It's it's a classic Western in the mold of Red River, but it's modern in the mold of Silverado. It's like the perfect melding of, of those two worlds. It's terrifically entertaining, and it really is. It's one of my top five favorite Westerns of all time, easily. Uh, the more I thought about it, it's not it's it's weird. It's not one of those movies I think about as being one of my favorites, but I've seen it probably as many times as I've seen Die Hard because uh, it's one that I'll put on and watch and just have in the background. And I, I know it like the back of my hand. And yet this last time when I watched it in prep for this show, I found a couple of things I'd never noticed before. So it is it's 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 one of those films that does uh, reward repeat viewings because it's very layered. It seems like a fairly straightforward story, but there's a lot going on. For instance, the opening I'd noticed this is one thing I noticed for the first time. The, end, the the opening sequence ends with Johnny Ringo quoting Revelation, and he says, "And hell followed with him." Mm-hmm. And I I immediately thought of the the scene near the end where he says, where Wyatt Earp yells out, "You tell him I'm coming, and hell's coming with me." And I'd never made that connection before. Yeah, a bit of foreshadowing there. Yep, just a little bit. Yeah. What about you, Corey? What are some of your overall thoughts on, on Tombstone? So I agree with Jeff. I think this is this is a top five Western movie uh, for me. The thing I think watching this last time I've watched it just like Jeff. I've put this movie on. I've had it in the background. Uh, But looking at it this last time after kind of prepping for the show and having some conversations about this, I started to look at it. and, And one of the things that I've always been aware of after talking and learning with Craig was this hero's journey. And I watched Tombstone with a different perspective this time because that quote that you just talked about where hell's coming with me um, in the beginning of Tombstone, they have that wedding scene and the priest makes a prophetic word and says, quotes that verse from Revelations. And then Johnny Ringo translates it. And the very next scene out of that is the chosen one. Exactly. Which is Wyatt Earp. Yeah. And so he walks and it's a long pause shot on him. He walks down the train. And then the next thing you see is as you go through the movie, he's reluctant to take the call. I'm not trying to get involved. He says a couple times in the movie, it's not our business. It's not our business. And then he, you know, the death of the friend comes in, which is his brother. And as Morgan's dying, he says to him and says, you are the chosen one, Wyatt. Don't let him get you. And then after that, 
Okay, he's in the abyss, and then he goes down the train, get, you know, sends his brother off and his family off, and then they have that confrontation. He says to Ike, he requotes the line from the beginning of the movie, the prophetic line, and says, hell's coming with me. And so then we have the big climax, the resolution, and then even followed with the supernatural at the end, the, the river confrontation with, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I just blanked because I'm thinking... Uh, Johnny Ringo? John, no, not Johnny Ringo. The in the in the river. Oh right, yeah, yeah, with, uh, with Curly Bill. Curly uh, Bill, thank you. Yeah, I was I was, I was blanky too. I can think it was was yeah. Oh. And and I mean, talk about a real life hero's journey because in in looking up some of the history of this, he really did have his jacket, his coat was riddled with bullets, his saddle which was next to him, um, really did get hit with bullets and. His heel of his boot got hit with bolts. He never got hit with a shotgun right in front of him. And so there's a little bit of divine intervention that this is a hero's journey type story. He has that moment and makes the impossible, you know, legendary act of the hero. And then after that, you know, the climax starts to come back um, down and then we, you know, close out the show. And so I think it's a great, true hero's journey story. It's fantastic. And I have to go watch it again now, Corey, because I never noticed the bullet holes in the jacket or the boot and everything. So you've given me one more reason to go watch it again. Yeah, not that we needed one, but right. another one. Exactly. Yeah, for me, I, mean, I have to agree. Like, I am not I'm not actually a big Westerns fan, but I do. I wasn't like, until my mid 20s. Yeah, I, you know, you mentioned Silverado, too. And I, that's one, too, that I love and interesting that, you know, Bruce Broughton, who did the music for Tombstone, also did the music for Silverado, which is kind of a cool through line there. Uh, but yeah, this is, and, and I often say that, like, I don't really, I don't like Westerns, but I love this. Like, that's how good this movie is and how much I really like it. And I remember seeing it when I went, when I went to see it, I was not excited about it because it was a Western and I was young. I was in high school and then was just blown away by how amazing it was. And it is far and away my favorite Kurt Russell performance. He is such a badass in this film. Uh, you know, he he has his, like Corey mentioned, he has, you know, the hero's journey where he has some things that, some bad things that happen to him. He's not invulnerable, but he is so confident. He's just supremely confident, sometimes to his detriment. Mm -hmm. But I, I had not seen, you know, a character introduction in that way, in a, I don't think, before I saw this movie. And that's one thing that, that, drew, that drew me in. That and of course Val Kilmer and you know Jeff, you and I talked about this before. How did he did how he did not get an Oscar nomination? Right. Is, is beyond me. Career best work from an actor who, regardless of his personality, is one of the greatest actors of his generation, in my opinion. And uh, this is the this is his crowning achievement in my in, in my mind. I, I, every time I watch it, I'm just amazed. I think the Val Kilmer the Val Kilmer aspect is something that absolutely cannot be repeated i mean he owns that character so incredibly he does that so well and the wit that he brings with those lines which in some of the research i looked up you're a daisy if you do is an actual quote from doc holiday and he he actually has that wit he has that little southern charm uh in real life and val kilmer just played that perfect to a t and delivered those absolutely incredible and could be unmatched in the if you ever remake tombstone if you ever they remake wider story i don't think you could ever top that casting well they did a year later well 
Yeah. <laughs> and I will say Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid is actually very good as Doc Holliday. Agreed. Sure. But it's it's just a different performance. It's a different take on the character. It's 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 good, but you're never gonna top this. The whole movie is a different take on it. Yeah. Yeah. I I, uh, I didn't know this that Kevin Costner had been considered for Tombstone for the Tombstone role. Doesn't surprise me. Before Kurt Russell, and he walked away after uh, they had some disagreements with the original director for Tombstone. And Kevin Costner went away and was making his own. He wanted to go different directions. His is a three-hour one. It's a much more in-depth story. There are some things in there that are a little more historically accurate from people. But I thought that was fascinating that Kurt Russell wasn't the first one in there. That it was they were considering it for Kevin Costner, who then comes out six months later with his own Wyatt Earp story. Yeah, this was a bit of a troubled production, I and mean, that's something you'll you'll find. You know, obviously, you know, you're on your second director, Kevin Jar, who wrote the film, was originally tabbed to to direct, and then apparently it just got away from him. That that's what uh, that story I read. And you know, you know, Kurt Russell directed the film, right? Yes, that's yeah. the yeah, that's the prevailing. Do you, do you know the story with George P. Cosmatos, the director? A little bit. I know he supposedly, uh, like Stallone, direct, actually directed First Blood Part Two as well. Right, and, and is... the reason he ended up on this production is because during Tango and Cash, Stallone, uh, Kurt Russell was prepping for this, and Stallone mentioned to him if he ne- if he needed a director, this guy he'll get the job done, but he'll also do what you tell him to do, <laughs> and that's that's how he ended up uh, in the role. Love that. Love that. That is awesome. So uh, before this gets away from us, and we'll we'll come back to this, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> We do want to talk a little bit about cinematography. So, Jeff, I'm going to start with you. Anything uh, composition, color, or camera work that stood out to you on this viewing? There's so much. Like, the exterior yeah. shots just look dry. The movie just looks dry. There's so much dust in the air that you can almost you almost feel it under your fingernails. Uh, the composition is very classical. This isn't really a director's movie since the director was apparently actually Kurt Russell, like we talked about. But it does have a definite style to it. The camera moves a lot more than I remembered it moving. Again, I was paying a little more closer attention to it this time around. The interior lighting is usually darkish. I'm fairly certain they were using, for the most part, practical light for all of that. They were just using the the external light coming through the windows and in candlelight and oil lamps and things like that. And if, it, if they're not, it really looks like it is. Uh, and it's got a really good look. And as far as the color, the use of color in it is really intricate. When when you talk when I talk about color, I'm talking about the cinematography, set design, costumes, and everything. The Earps are all always in black and white mm-hmm. because that's how they see the world. Most of the color comes from the costumes of the cowboys, especially those red sashes, sashes, and the costumes of the acting troupe who comes into town who represents society moving into this this dusty you know sort of earth toned black and white environment. But I always liked Doc's splash of color. His bandana is that sort of light purple, kind of a lavender color. And the rest of his is is pretty much black and white, but it's sort of muted because his health isn't that great. So it's a very muted color. Right. So, and it's, it's just, it, it's, it's fantastic. And, and the camera work, like I said, the camera moves a lot, but it still kind of feels like a, a classic Western. The only shot in the film that sticks out to me it, because I don't like it is there's one shot near the end when they're doing the montage of, of Wyatt Earp and his, immortals there's a shot of of kurt russell walking directly toward the camera like down a hill Mm -hmm. shooting at the camera yeah maybe they're referencing the great train robbery i don't know but it it just it sticks out because it doesn't look like anything else in the film and i don't know why it's there 
Yeah, that's true. It does. It does kind of pull you out a little bit. Yeah. It, and it there's one other thing. One other like thing I noticed. I'm sorry, Corey. One other thing I noticed this time that I did want to bring up is uh, I noticed this for the first time in the scene where uh, we learned that Billy Zane's character has been killed at the, uh, when they when the Cowboys stop the stagecoach that he's in. If you go back and watch that scene, there is in the in the uh, reflection of the window, you can see one of the Cowboys sitting up on the hill on his horse in perfect frame. For the majority of the sequence, whenever it's cutting into looking into the uh, the stagecoach, it's remarkable. I never noticed it before. Sorry, Corey. No, yeah, that, that's great. I, I I agree. I I think the that shot. I always thought that shot that you said where Kurt Russell's walking, mm-hmm. shooting, felt more of a like it would be in a trailer. Right. Got made into a final cut piece. Like it was a promo for a trailer. We're gonna have Kevin Costner walking and shooting, and then you know that's in the trailer, but it's never actually in the movie. But it it does feel a little different there. So Corey, did you have any anything you wanted to point out? Composition, color, camera works, anything specific? So yeah, I you know the thing is watching this with that kind of frame in mind. Uh, in the beginning, having having gone through some of the history. So before I watched it this time, I looked at some history. I looked at some some aspects of Tombstone and just to kind of fill my head with things I want to look for. And in the beginning, when Wyatt gets off the train and uh, as they're they're panning towards zooms at tombstone they start coming up there's a shot with the boot hill cemetery and in the boot hill cemetery they pull back on a grave that says here lies less lester moore four slugs from a 44 no less no more and that's an actual <laughs> tombstone it in is. Boot hill cemetery <laughs> is that's one of the legendary tombstones that's written the epitaph and i think it's great it's kind of throwing in that little extra extra period of history it's a it's a passing by shot you know and and the crowd's gonna watch that they're gonna read that and they're gonna move on you know but the people who know a little bit more about Wyatt Earp or the details of it see that and go oh my gosh that's the tombstone from from uh the actual tombstone up in Boot Hill Cemetery and then they also made a particular attention to point out in the background you see the Grand Hotel you see the Oriental um there's a couple of different things that they have in there that are actual buildings that were that were mentioned in the history of Tombstone. And so I think they pay really good attention to have it in the back, they have the names, the Grand Hotel and and the theater is the actual theater. Now, it was not built at the same time as the as the OK Corral uh, shootout. It was a year later, but it's a it's such a monumental place of Tombstone. So I think when you pay that kind of attention and you put those in the background, you're you're appeasing to the, the the fans who know a little bit more about the history and know a little bit more about the tales of Wyatt Earp, and I think they do that a, a great job all the way through that, um, through those through the movie. And then I think, like you said, once you move away from that, and then in the middle of the movie with the OK Corral, the way they tighten on the people's faces, the guys' faces, yep, and you see eyes of fear. You see eyes of confusion with a little hangover on Ike. Um, you see, you see a little bit of anger. Like you see the the <clears throat> the confidence of of Doc Holliday. That is such an incredible moment of silence in a film, but po- showing the eyes and really pulling you into there um, to show that that level of acting from those guys is absolutely incredible. And then towards the end of the movie. Um, 
the way they get through all the action. They don't have to show all the gore and all the, you know, the shoot 'em up stuff, but we know what's taking place is, is that vengeance ride and, and the way they pan out with, with Doc and the way it ends. It's, I think it's just a great movie shot throughout. I thought the way they moved the camera, the way they had the camera throughout the whole thing was, was excellent. Well, you guys are stealing some of my stuff. I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you. That's good. Uh, you yeah, said you wanted to go last. I did. And that's fun. What happens uh, when you have two geniuses on the show? I know. Dang it. Uh, but yeah, hey. Corey, I'm glad you pointed that out. The 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 series of close-ups shifting from face to face in the OK Corral it, to build the tension. Uh, it's it's like if Sergio Leone had an editor. That's what it would look. That's what his <laughs> would look like. Yeah. It goes yeah. down to Doc's face. Say when. Or oh, he winks. That's when he winks. That's he another, winks. Yeah. And then I love that he winks and then. And then uh, 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 Wyatt Earp just goes, oh, my God. Yeah. Because you see. You uh, tell that moment. He sees yep. in the eyes that moment. <laughs> oh, and they my let goodness. the viewer see that moment. Because you see that a guy's eyes. Uh, yeah. You see his eyes change, too. Yeah, Thomas Hayden Church's character. Yeah. Uh, it's Ike, right? No, Billy. Billy no. Clinton. Billy, Billy yeah. Clinton. Ike, is, yeah he, Ike is the coward. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it, the way this movie starts, too, I always forget uh, that it starts in 4-3. You know, that's got the little square and it's in black and white to kind of, hey, guess what? This is authentic, kind of. That's kind of what they're going with. It's a really interesting way, but especially because then it breaks into super wide screen and you, and you get, um, it's it's super dramatic, right? You get to see the landscape, lots of great landscape shots, very traditional Western stuff uh, in there. But there was some really, I did find some interesting composition in this one. There was a couple of things that, uh, I thought you mentioned the framing, Jeff, in in the window when when Billy mm-hmm. Zane's character is dead. There's a, a similar thing where Wyatt reunites with Virgil and Morgan at the train station, and that it's shot from inside the office, and they fit within the doorway, which is a right. really interesting shot. Uh, they also have uh, when when uh, when Josephine comes into the bar the first time after it's revealed that she's you know she's the devil, is that you have. Doc is on Wyatt's left and Morgan's on his right. And it's very much like the angel and devil thing. Oh, you're right. And Doc is on the left. <laughs> he's the devil. He's just kind of trying to edge. And it's like, oh my God. I mean, I've seen this movie. I don't know how many times, but like genius. Such a such a, a brilliant way to, to to stage that scene. Especially because it's right after Wyatt has said, I'll be damned. And Doc has said, you may if you get lucky. You may be you if may. you get lucky. There you go. There you go. Uh, and of course, you know, I'm, I'm always a fan of, you know, good guys on the left, bad guys on the right type of thing. Uh, and you see that when Ringo and, and Doc Holliday meet for the first time. And it's very much it's in profile uh, when they're across the table when they start, you know, their uh, their conversation goes into Latin and everything else. Right before we have the uh, the dueling <laughs> the gun and then the, the, the cup, which I have some stuff about that, too. Just genius. But what's really interesting, I think, composition wise in this one is that when you have. At the OK Corral, or before it happens, right at the beginning there, the staging is really interesting. The geography is kind of weird because it looks like both parties are facing the left. I don't know if you guys noticed that. It'll show like uh, the it, it crosses. The it crosses the plane. Yeah, it does. And and I'm not sure the reason for that, but what I kind of took from this is that there's kind of this muddled morality to both of it. To, to both sides that though, even though the Earps are the lawmen, they kind of instigated this fight and they're maybe not a hundred percent doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the other guys kind of have a little bit of a leg to stand on. Uh, but it is an interesting, like you don't typically see both. It is a little jarring. It, it is. And there's one shot in that, that I meant to bring up um, when, when everybody starts to pull their guns and all of our, our heroes, quote unquote, 
they stop and there's a frame of them. They're all in the same pose. It looks like it looks like um, if there was an anime set in the old West, that's what it would look like. Because it, it's it's just the shot where uh, where Virgil goes, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. They're all got they've all got their hands on their gun. Go back and, and freeze frame that. It's a remarkable shot. Yeah, it's almost like choreography. Uh, I think there was some very intentionality in that shot, um, and I didn't know this till I was w- watching a historical expert on this. There's a, the part where they're walking up, and Behan, Sheriff Behan, comes up and says, "I've already <laughs> disarmed them," yeah. <laughs> which is a historical part. Um, such a subtle detail that I have never seen before until this was pointed out. Wyatt Earp takes his pistol out of his holster and puts it in his jacket. He had Mm -hmm. a specially lined jacket pocket for a quick draw so that he could holster his gun in the jacket instead, instead of his holster in his, in his special line pocket that he could pull it. And then during that scene, when the guns get pulled, you see Wyatt Earp's first shot is faster than everybody else's because he was ready with that in the jacket. And it's a historically accurate jacket that he wore as he was walking up there. So I thought, I mean, when you put that level of detail into it and then exactly that, where you get that wide shot and you see everybody in there, that's not what I want. Yep. It is is fantastic. So my last two things uh, for cinematography, I have a couple of examples of of high and low angle. And I've always liked and I didn't know what it was at the time because I didn't know enough about about filmmaking. But when Curly Bill is totally drunk right before he kills um, Fred, it's his Fred, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's looking up at the moon. It's like this extreme, not quite extreme, but it's very high angle looking looking down on him. And then it's a low angle looking up at the moon, which is kind of a jarring thing uh, that we're looking at there. But the, I think the, the most interesting one was when you have the little duel in when uh, Ringo and, and Holiday meet for the first time. After he finishes a little cup twirling demonstration, it's very much a low angle looking up at him as if to say, yeah. I mean, like, even if we didn't know that he won, it's very much the camera is, is like screaming at us. Yes, he won. He's the better of the two in this situation. Agreed. Yeah. In the scene where, where Curly Bill is shooting at the moon, has anybody ever counted the number of gunshots he fires? <laughs> no, it's got to be more than 12. <laughs> There's there's a couple parts where I don't know. I think you know I think <clears throat> even in the OK Corral when they do that the the number of gunshots is tremendous. Like I think wow that's there's got to be like a little a reload in there somewhere. But <laughs> you know Val Kilmer's yep. number of shots I I don't know I kept meaning to go back and count them because I thought he's got to fire more than twelve before he gets that last one off with the you're a daisy if you do line. Yeah. Well, with the shotgun he fires it three times before he loads it too. He does. He shoots it once in the air, and then he shoots the guy, and then he shoots again. Well, if it was a Spencer rifle, he might have might have had more than two shots in it. And I watched that scene a couple times, Craig, and I think what, what took place on that, and that's just that editing. I think he was sliding over, shooting him the second time he shot in the air, and he slides over and shoots. But then the camera from the other angle shows that same yeah. shot. I think it's that I same think, shot, but it looks I like think it three, is too. but it's two. And I only know I only saw that because Jeff, you sent me that video that I need to put in in the show notes yeah. uh, that mentioned that because I had never caught that before. I don't, I'm just sucked into the movie. I don't I don't care. Old West aficionados love this movie, and every Old West aficionado has a long handlebar mustache. Somebody out there prove me wrong. <laughs> you, those were real mustaches on those guys. Yes, too. that's tremendous. That's. 
So uh, what about what about sound, guys? Jeff, let's start with you. Uh, sound effects, the soundtrack, vocal sounds, anything that uh, stood stood out to you on this viewing? Well, uh, the, the 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 soundtrack. Uh, if we want to talk soundtrack, I love the score. It feels very old school Hollywood. But as far as like sound effects, just like Die Hard, the gunshots in this movie are so loud that it's jarring, and that's by design. That's the point. And the only other time the sound really stuck out is when they're trying to save Morgan's life after he gets shot in the back and that dog is howling in the background. It's so nerve wracking, but it somehow they, they know whoever was doing it knew exactly when to cut the dogs howling off because it was right at the point where I was about to just turn the movie off the first time I saw it and it stopped. It's like, okay, okay, fine. We're good. We're good. But it gets you right to that point of, oh, and then it stops. But other than that, you know, as far as the the variation in voices in this movie is wonderful and it's appropriate. Like Ike Clanton sounds like a weasel. Curly Bill is usually fairly understated and kind of deadpan. And he and until he has to be more animated, there are times when, you know, and that's when it really counts. And it makes those moments play a bit better. Um, I will say that uh, uh, Michael Bean as Johnny Ringo. And we'll get into this when we talk about the acting, but his his vocal delivery is a little shallow to me a little one note and I, and i and again i think that's kind of by design it works for the film but if he was featured any more in the movie it would probably get on my nerves but other than that again i think i think everything's great uh, kurt russell's got kind of a growl uh, in his voice that we we haven't seen up until this point except maybe when he played mccready in uh, the thing which i think is maybe his best work but uh, this is de- definitely, definitely up there. But yeah, other than that, I, you know, nothing stood out. And that's because it was all very appropriate. Which I think is a good thing. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that gu- I just want to just jump in real fast. Uh, the guns being so loud. It's there's just that one instance, though, when the thunder kind of drowns it out, which is really an interesting uh, interplay with it, with the sound effects, though, the shot that actually gets Morgan. So that's kind of right. interesting twist. Yeah. What about you, Corey? What about sound for you? You know, I, 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 I think with the gunshot sounds, I thought it was was it's one of those where they put a little more power into those gunshots than you usually get in those westerns that I grew up with before this. You know, where they shot the guns. You see uh, Kurt Russell shooting, and you see him jerking a little bit, reacting with the bullet and the sound and. It, it draws you in a little bit more. The gun sounds different than just the regular bang bangs that you're used to getting. And so I think I think that it was kind of one of those westerns where they started to get a little bit more better sounding on the gun tones for movies. I think it just it sounded better. It sounded more realistic. It sounded heavier than just the, you know, the regular sound that you get. So uh, and I think the voices were all great. I think the. The sound of everything in the background. The one thing with sound that I would say, I think Kurt Russell did not have the most lines in this movie. And I think that's an interesting take is when you you make your hero of the show who I don't think has the most lines. And it's 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 a fantastic way to play it, to play that aura of the character in the old West. The, the man who's the legend. So the sounding was great. I agree with that dog. Boy, it was just really amping up that scene was the dog barking and the intensity of Morgan being stuck and then the doctor in the back saying he can't reach the bullet um it really they played all of those things so well so whoever did the sounding on this movie 
put together a perfect you know it's uh so, so, so many good things guys thank you so much uh for, for chiming on that i i also wanted to mention um that we have robert mitchum doing voiceover a narration on this film at the beginning and at the end which i always forget that that's a thing and what a great get for for this film to have robert mitchum doing it, it just lends that gravitas to to the film and he uses uh, a period appropriate pronunciation of los angeles that's yeah. how they that's how they pronounced it back then perfect uh and i love how it just it's and it's playing over that beginning i mentioned that thing that's in four three and so it sets up a lot of stuff so we just jump right into the action we already know who the, the major players are going to be uh, it's so it's really it's it's a good economy of uh, of storytelling that you can you can use him just for that. Something I noticed this time that I never noticed before, uh, the OK Corral right before actually it's the the beginning of the walk down the street. You have just the music. All the ambient noise drops out until that little boy comes running up, and and grabs their attention. But there's it's there's nothing. There's no there's no whispering. There's no foot. Uh, Footsteps, nothing, uh, which just only adds to uh, to the tension in there. And I thought that was was genius. I never had picked that out until until I, on this on this watch. It's always does it, Corey seems to know all of this. The the barn or building that was on fire was that happening at the at the at the time? I want to say it was mentioned in that video, Craig, but it's been just long enough since I watched it. Do we know anything about why that building was on fire? Well, and I, I, that was my, that was my thought as they walked out. Why is this building all of a sudden on fire? There's no, there's no mention of it in the story. There's no place, there's no film. There's no nothing that tied it into it other than the chaos of Tombstone being a wild town, I guess. But, and so it, but I, I thought as you do it, it, it walks, the characters walking in front of the fire was an intentional place of, of that walk. And I thought it, when I watched it and I thought, well, this is kind of an out of place moment. Why is this chaos here? But then I thought, well, you're walking into the fires of hell for this. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. And so there it's maybe a way of trying to make that more for the audience to realize this is chaos. This is crazy. And they're walking into the fires of hell and they got to go in and and they're going to have a battle. So hell was literally following with them. There you go. With them. We do have uh, we do have a lot one, at least one leitmotif. Uh in this film i think there might be two I, I i couldn't quite tell if if wyatt and josie or josie has her own theme i think there was some some repetition on that but i know for sure that the main title is repeated several times uh pretty much as soon as you start seeing wyatt going into action we hear this a lot during the the ride at the end it's the same one we hear at the beginning and they played a lot at the end of the film uh, as well but that's it's a very distinctive kind of almost like a march um that there's a hell coming with you that's I don't know what the film, what the title. It's just the main title, but it would have been cool if they would have called it, you know, Hell's Cup Hell, or something like that. And, and Hell followed with him. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. Anything else on sound for either of you before we talk about the performances? I, I do I, have to say something about Robert Mitchum that you had in there because I thought his voice is so distinctive and so legendary. And as I was thinking of Robert Mitchum and why that was, um, the way he bookends the movie, he starts the movie, he closes the movie. And sometimes when you watch these period movies like this, people get they get it's almost like when Marvel makes a movie and comic book people say, well, the way they made the movie, they cut out too much. This is what should be in the comic book. This is what should be in the movie. And so sometimes when you watch a movie like Wyatt Earp, 
you're thinking this isn't a history movie this is a movie this is a film so there's going to be some liberties they're not going to it's not a historical documentary and what i thought was fantastic is when you read the real stories of wider there's so many different takes on some of these that it's very hard to get a real accurate picture of all the details of all the things because there's some crazy stories and crazy theories and i thought when robert mitchum narrates it's a way of doing we're sitting at a campfire and we're cowboys and this cowboy's telling us a story and he's telling me this tale of wyatt earp he starts with robert mitchum i get my hero's journey tale and it closes with robert mitchum and in between there's some there's some things that you just can't believe happen there's some crazy things that happen and some amazing things that happen and some and and it closes with Robert Mitchum, and it feels like cowboy sitting around a cow campfire, and this was a story told by a legendary voice of Robert Mitchum. So I like that aspect after watching it this last time. My only complaint is that he didn't end it by saying beef. It's what's for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> he Sorry, Jeff. Uh, okay, so performances. Jeff, what are, what are your thoughts on the performances of Tombstone? Okay, so uh, overall, the acting is phenomenal in this. You've got a lot of pros working in, in, in this movie, obviously. Uh, we've already talked about Val Kilmer was legit robbed of an Oscar nomination. This is this is honestly one of my favorite performances in any film ever. It's right up there with Robert Forster and Jackie Brown for me, uh, which is maybe my favorite performance in any film, for those of you who are wondering. Uh, Kurt Russell is appropriately stoic until we get to Hell's Coming With Me. It seems melodramatic, but it's not. It could come across as melodramatic, but it's not. Even Jason Priestley is terrific in his smaller role. And I say even because he's he's probably, of everybody in this cast at the time, he was the most surprising one to show up. I didn't even know it was him the first time I saw the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam Elliott and Bill Paxton have rarely been better, uh, yeah. especially Bill Paxton's death scene. I think that's some of the best work he's ever done. Uh, as far as melodramatic, the only... The only characters, the only work that I didn't really care for from that standpoint was the uh, the actress who played uh, Wyatt's wife, who played Maddie, okay. uh, which the, the character is very shrewish. You, you, I don't and I don't think you're supposed to like her. That may be the point, but I could not stand that character. But um, other than that, uh, I, I thought that uh, Sheriff Behan seems very two dimensional to me, which, again, that may be the point. But I feel like the editing may have left some of his character on the cutting room floor because there were certain references that were made to his character that didn't really jive with what we saw in the film. So I'm wondering if there are some cutscenes with him in it. And again, Johnny Ringo, he seems very one note. Michael Bean is always playing. Everything is always very serious. There's no humor whatsoever with everything he says. It's very compelling and it's Michael Bean. So you don't mind you're sucked in, but can you imagine if he was the main character? You just, you just want to kind yeah. of take the air out of him a little bit. And so I think that's why, um, Curly Bill is such a great counterpoint to him because he he seems like a joker compared to Johnny Ringo. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah. I just like I said, I think I think everybody in the movie is great. And uh, uh, with, with those few exceptions, uh, it, it all works for me. Beautiful. Corey, what about you? What about your, your kind of your overall thoughts on performance? Yeah, I don't know if you could say that better. I think this is a perfect cast from top to bottom. There's there's the characters in there are all perfectly cast. Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott. Is there no other movie that I mean, anytime you have a Western, Sam Elliott's name has to get thrown in there somewhere as could he be part of this movie? I thought each one played their role so well. Virgil, uh, Sam Elliott being the oldest brother 
and being the the wise but then they also have a nice little scene in there where they show him being and it's prophetic they say this i've never met a uh, rich man without a guilty conscience and sam elliott develops the guilty conscience and becomes takes over for fred white as the sheriff so i think he plays that so well and then bill paxton does such a great job of being scared and being nervous but he's got to back his brother's play and I, I don't know he does that in aliens so well too uh you know gets that real scared scared mentality but he does such a great job of being fearful but i'm being brave with my brothers and powers does so much with expressions and just laughs yes and smirks that that you can't you you can't believe even the scene where johnny ringo and val kilmer are do you know having their little flipping the guns and val kilmer flips the cup the way Powers Booth laughs at it, and it defuses this tense situation that could be a gunfight, and it becomes humorous even on the other side, and it defuses it. And Powers Booth laughs, and and even when he makes the comment, I'm I'm worried about what'll happen when Johnny Ringo takes over. It's the way he does everything. His facial expressions are cr- just incredible. It's a whole different level of acting than just saying a line. Is getting that expression in there. Uh, so I think the acting is top to bottom incredible. And the other part, now now I have to make this comparison because I went and watched the OK Corral for Tombstone, and then I went and watched the OK Corral for Wyatt Earp. And the acting in those, the lines are very different. And I agree with you, there's a there's a the way Michael Bean has a little bit of melodrama in his melodramatic tone. Uh, it's the very caricature the caricature of I've already sold my soul to the devil and I'm doomed anyway. He says in the beginning, I already made my deal with the devil, you know. Um, it's very melodramatic and the line is a little forced, I felt, you know. Um, but if you watch Wyatt Earp on Costner's, a lot of those lines are like that. It's very different. But then when you watch the lines in Tombstone, the way they're delivered does not come across as waiting for the next guy to say his line. And so I can say my line, which is very typical, this has to sound macho. They're delivered in such an authentic way. So I think the acting in Tombstone is what separates it apart. You can have two movies doing the same thing, but the acting and the lines and the words that are spoken are absolutely incredible. And whoever the writers are that do this is a tremendous gift to be able to pull that off, to make some of those comments, to make those lines, and then have an actor deliver them in a way it's going to make it not sound melodramatic, not sound overly used, or, uh, you know, this is what I should say. You've been itching for a fight kind of typical response um, to sound macho, but instead to sound sound that it fits in the movie in the period. So, Yeah, the, this Kevin Jarre's script is, is fantastic, it, and it's incredibly quotable. And so I'm going to transition down to that part. So I'm going to ask both of you guys to share – one or two of your favorite lines it could basically be the entire movie but jeff let's start with you what what's uh give me a line or two okay there are a couple and I, i'm i'm the guy that my favorite line from a movie is hardly ever the one that everybody quotes so you know i'm your huckleberry you're a daisy if you do those are all great lines but the 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 one that i love the most it's the scene where um where uh wyatt is is is, is uh, bowing up to uh billy bob thornton's character 
And uh, he says, he says, skin that smoke wagon. Then he slaps him and he says, you got to do something or just stand there and bleed. That is the most dismissive thing you could say to someone. And I love it. And the way he says it was, you know, he just kind of tosses it off. Um, And uh, I have have two more that I'll say. And then uh, the the other one is uh, when, when uh, Val Kilmer is getting, getting shaved on the, on the the, the porch and he has to come out and, you know, he says, uh, you know, say when or whatever. He goes back and he sits down and he says, Barbara, proceed, sir. I don't know why. The fact that he says proceed, sir, I say that all the time to people when we get interrupted and I say, you know, I'm trying to get them to continue what they were doing. Nobody ever knows what I'm referencing. And then the final one is when they're leaving town and he tells uh, Curly Bill, I want you to know it's over. And Curly just looks at him and goes, well, bye. I thought, are you just going to stand there and bleed was the most dismissive thing you could say to someone. That might be the most dismissive thing you could say to someone, especially considering what has transpired prior to that. And I started opening this podcast with, well, hi, but I wasn't (laughs) sure it would read. (laughs) So good. Corey, what about you? You got a couple lines that you want to share. I do. I think that well by is probably one of the most meme worthy gifs that gets put on anything on social media, you see someone always say that, well, bye. Like, I used to work with a guy who said it every day. Whenever somebody would leave for the day, he would look at him and just go, well, bye. Bye. Um, I, I agree. You could, you could, you could throw out a lot of doc holiday lines as, as absolutely, but I'm just going to go a different direction and try and think of the ones that I thought. Um, the one that I really love is Val Kilmer's when he, after he kills Johnny Ringo and he puts the badge back on, Johnny Ringo's body. He wore that badge only for that moment. And when Wyatt looks at it and looks back at him, he says, my hypocrisy only goes so far. It's a great line. Yep. And it's incredible because, you know, if the thing that I realized, these guys aren't, their hands aren't clean on everything too. There's some, there's some deeds that Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, Doc Holliday had been arrested 17 or 19 times for different things. Yeah. And so, there, you know, and and Sheriff Behan is a dirty guy, um, but I think in the old west, the the people who were lawmen, there was some power, there was some abuses, there was some struggles. Wyatt Earp, they were trying to arrest Wyatt Earp at the train station for the murder, um, getting off the train. So it makes me look and say, my hypocrisy only goes so far. Um, here we are in the movie rooting for the guys who are fighting this just fight, but at the same time. They have arrest warrants out for them in real life, trying to arrest them for murders too, and and blaming them. And there's a lot of stuff in that, but it just shows that there's a little bit of hypocrisy in some of these acts that we're doing, but we're on the right side of those acts. So that's a great throwaway line, I think. And then um, after Wyatt's immortal scene walking on the water that Val Kilmer comments on, and <laughs> Johnson says, you know, why why are you doing the stock? And he goes, he's Wyatt Earp is my friend. And he says, well, hell, I have a lot of friends. And Wyatt Earp says, I don't. And I think that's that's the amazing epiphany of that relationship. You look at the two of them, there is a there's a bond that's even stronger than the brothers have because of that. So uh, I think there's some incredible power with that. And then just the the worst line. Um, is I think this might, I'll just do this one, is when Behan, or not Behan, uh, Michael Bain says, smells like somebody died. Oh, it's so horrible. Yeah. And the, like, 
how nobody gets up from the the wagon right there is such a terrible and even curly bills like oh gosh you know like there's just a level of of wickedness in that line so uh it's just it's one that will stick with you so what about you craig oh my gosh so good so the first one that i had these are all great and i'm so glad we've been talking about lots of them before this as well uh, is where the guy tells Wyatt, he says, never saw a rich man who didn't wind up with a guilty conscience. His reply is, I already got a guilty conscience. Might as well have the money too. That was on my list too, Craig. <laughs> oh my gosh, so good. That is a good justification. Um, and then I had, uh, you know, Ed, if I thought you weren't my friend, I just don't think I could bear it. Yep. Because Ed Bailey's played. <laughs> that's Frank Stallone. I, I forgot that was Frank Stallone. So I had to put that in there. Wait, uh, what? That's Frank Stallone. Well, now I have to go back and watch the movie again. Frank I Stallone know. is in this movie. Frank Stallone plays Ed Bailey at the beginning. Yeah. That's where you, you guessed Norm. it. Yep. Frank Stallone. Yeah. Norm MacDonald, RAP. Um, and then, uh, let's see, so many others. Nonsense, I have not yet begun to defile myself is always good. <laughs> Yeah. I, I've used that before at a buffet. <laughs> I'm not even ashamed to say. Perfect time to use that. So good, so good. So, and then uh, I could use so many, but I thought the one you were going to use, Corey, when he, when Wyatt was walking across, uh, you, you skipped the one that's actually the one that I like the best. I like that one too. That's a great line too. But when the first guy says, "Did you ever see anything like that before?" and he says, "Hell, I ain't never heard anything like that." Yes. Oh yeah. my gosh. And it goes on and on. It's just it's so quotable. Lines. Uh, we talked about face some facial expressions already but jeff is there anything else facial expressions or costumes hair and makeup that you want to bring up before we move on to the next section the only thing that i will bring up is uh kilmer's makeup in this is outstanding because it makes him look sick it's so wonderfully realistic um because he's just slightly jaundiced but he doesn't he doesn't look like death walking but he just looks unwell it, he really does. I think the work that they did there is great. And the fact that he's always sweating is just a wonderful touch. And again, the costume color choices are just spot on all over the place uh, with all the characters. And I love that uh, Ike, his, his, he's got that goofy hat that's pulled up in the front. So it makes him look like, uh, uh, what is it, Prospector Bill or whatever from Toy Story 2. <laughs> Kelsey Grammer's character makes him look, sure. just makes him look like a doofus, which he is. Um and uh, yeah, that so that that's that's the only thing that I had in my notes, because, again, the rest of it, it's makeup is, again, one of those things that if it's done well, you should notice it. And, you know, unless you're talking about like sci fi makeup or, you know, uh, prosthetics or something. So, I you know, I thought it was great. Nice. What about you, Corey? Anything body language the, or costumes here, makeup? Yeah. And I think I think you look at the heroes, the the herbs, um, you look at them and they're. I mean, there's a little bit of dirt, there's a little bit of dust of what they put in there, but there's always a nice clean look. But then you look at the Ike Clanton and you look at the Thomas Hayden Church. Um, Stephen Lang and Thomas Hayden Church are just filthy in the movie. They're dark, they're tan, they're, they're, there's just a, like when uh, Ike pulls his head up right before the OK Corral and it's just filthy with dirt and water coming off. And, and I think the way they do that to show, you know, in Curly Bill is, you know, they've got just a, a dirt to them and a darkness that's that's not on the herbs. So it really paints them into the two directions of this. That's a good point. Guys. These are yeah. bad guys. And uh, and Stephen Lang, does he not do the best job of being a villain 
that you could ever root. I hate him so much. I it, 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 I wait the entire movie for him to get his comeuppance and to and get his just due, and he throws his sash off, and Earp puts his pistol down, and I think he's gonna get away with everything that he is just terrible, and which he does, and then you know, and then Robert Mitchus tells him he dies in a in a robbery, but. It's one of those things. Stephen Lang absolutely was perfect in that role. So I think this, just that, but that dirt and that grime to it is a is a a nice way to paint the good and the bad. Yeah, I like that. Uh, you know, the thing with uh, with Curly Bill's bright red shirt. The first time I saw this film, it totally pulled me out of the film because I had not seen color like that in a western before. And then come to find out that's actually historically accurate. That blew my mind. Well, it also works because he's the head of the Cowboys, so he's going to have the biggest red sash of any of yep. them. Yep. So super intentional, just you know, great use of color uh, and you know, doing your homework. Uh, one thing that I noticed this time that I had not noticed before, uh, speaking of, of body language, is uh, the scene where uh, the mayor comes in and uh, – He's talking to uh, the Earps about how they're making money while people are are suffering in the streets. You see Virgil hang his head. He's kind of in the background. You see him hang his head, and you can see his sad face. And then he walks outside, and that's when he starts to see. It's like the transition before he takes up, mm-hmm. you know, being town marshal. But his it's his no dialogue from him. It's all very. Uh, it's just body language. It's all it is. Very self contained. Uh, and I said, just brilliant. It's subtle, but you can see that he's made a choice. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Sam Elliott is one of everybody loves Sam Elliott, but he really is underrated as an actor as as as, yeah. as much acclaim as people have given him. He's only got one Oscar nomination in his whole career. And look at the work he's done. Yeah. He's just consistently good every time. And that was Terry O'Quinn as a mayor. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I didn't even recognize him. Cast is ridiculous on this film. Frank Stallone. <laughs> Frank Stallone, baby. Yeah, I had to write that down. Uh, so setting and design, the the main thing with this that I found was that really it's, just, it's shot in Arizona. I and mean, Corey, you mentioned you know some of that from earlier that like the locations are authentic. They are in that uh, it's not filmed in Tombstone, but it's it's filmed in some Arizona, some New Mexico, and I think the the scenery that they put behind. It's authentic for for what that scenery looked like and and the other part is when Wyatt Earp and Curly Bill face off with the shotguns the really was over a creek and Earp was wading towards a creek they were all heading to the same water hole and Wyatt Earp's party was coming from one direction and Curly Bill's was coming from another it was an unintentional meeting it wasn't an ambush like the movie but and Wyatt Earp was was right there off his horse had his shotgun out and that scene really did he did curly bill shot him shot at him and then wyatt Earp, both barrels at the same time uh took out curly bill right there by the creek so i think when you see that and uh it just kind of culminates the whole epic part of that tension and so i think the way they paint that setting is fantastic and great scene yeah do we know that that was Michael Rooker's real hair? That's that's a wig he's wearing, right? That curly hair he's got. 
I think so. I, it ha- would have to be. It looked like it looked like Gene Hackman's wig from Superman, <laughs> like the same wig. Yeah, thirteen That's years later. Michael Rooker too. But what? Jeez, so many little, so many great actors in these tiny little parts. You're like, oh, I forgot that he was in this movie. Uh, Jeff, anything that stood out to you with set decoration or props? Well, other than you know what, what I talked about, the interiors I thought were great. They're very ornate, like they yeah. would be back then, and and everything is sort of a, a there's sort of dark wood paneling on the inside to contrast the bright sand and dirt on the outside. So I think it's great. Um, it seems very authentic, and the props seem to be very period accurate, uh, especially you know uh, Doc's demi task cup that he always has with him. I think it's a Demitas cup. I may be using the wrong term there, but the cup that he's like, he's everybody else has a gun. He's got a gun, but he's also got a cup that he carries with him everywhere. <laughs> uh, I just, I just thought it was great. Uh, and, and the hats, all of the different hats in this movie, of course I'm a hat guy. So I'm always on the lookout for, for hats. And I just loved the variety of cowboy hats. We had bowlers. We had everything in this hat. We had Homburgs even in this movie. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm just a, just a big fan all around of everything. And I got to mention Wyatt's gun, the the Colt Buntline special, that super long barrel, uh, which is that's again that's something that actually was given to him from from the people of Dodge City. It's just another cool little historical uh, uh, artifact there, kind of fun. And I also had the the book at the end. I always loved the fact that Wyatt wrote a little book and hands him that the book, My Friend Doc Holliday, which we you know going back to core your quote that you pulled out earlier with you know Doc saying. You know, I don't. I don't have a lot of friends, but you know that that was a reciprocal relationship. They both felt that way. So, is there any characters that we haven't talked about that we need to? Because, again, there's so I just remembered Charlton Heston is in this movie. Yeah, Henry Charlotte. Hooker. Yes, yeah, Henry Hooker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I none that I have. I think I've I've said everything I wanted to say about about all of them that I can think of. But you know, again, uh, Dana Delaney. Okay, here's one thing that that whole. The, the whole romance between Wyatt Earp and Dana, uh, Kurt Russell's character and Dana Delaney's character seems really wedged in. I get why they're doing that because it comes around, it comes back around at the end, but that has nothing to do with tombstone. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, the scene where they're riding horses, I usually fast forward through because I, to me, it doesn't add anything to the story. And, uh, I it just, it, I don't know. It, it just, it is of no interest to me. And it's not that I, don't care for any kind of romantic angle in my action movies or anything like that. It's just this particular one just does not work for me. Yeah, that's fair. It doesn't drive the story forward. That's for sure. Right. It, it's like this one other element of, of why it's character that is very important, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't, I, I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't go anywhere for me. And I have one other question for you guys. Everybody gets gets ticked off at Wyatt when things start going down and they, they're blaming him like this is all your fault. Why is it his fault? He didn't get them involved. He tried to keep them out of all of this. Virgil's the one who took in and started laying down the law. Why is it Wyatt's fault? Can somebody explain it to me? I think I think that is <clears throat> uh, some of the historical stuff is that Wyatt Earp was not val- – uh, Kurt Russell plays this so well that he's, you know, hey, I'm looking for opportunity. I'm, I'm looking to get into the gambling. I'm, I'm very confident, but I'm sure. But we're here to make money. This isn't our problem. We're staying out of it. He plays that angle, but in real life, Wyatt Earp was, was a kind of a bit of a, a kind of a hothead guy, like a, a different kind of 
but there was tension there with his brothers. And so I think they're painting that. I don't think they develop as well in the story. Yeah, it's not. It's not not in this film. Yeah, it, no, it, I think it's just time, getting... but in this film, unless it's because he brought them there, but he had no way of knowing this was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It really is Virgil, the one that got him involved, and he he tells he's warning everybody. He's telling, you know, uh, both brothers, like, no, you you don't want this, and he has that conversation with with Morgan about you know the first time you kill a guy and that's sticking with you, and so he's very much like, let's not do this. So, okay, good. So thought, it's not just me. Okay. No, it's not just you. I, I thought of one more random thing that I should have mentioned earlier. There, there's a there's a part when all this starts happening, they start blaming him. Uh, Morgan mentions that the 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 cowboys are bugs, and for me, I had a very aliens vibe at that point. Like this is like a bug hunt. Oh yeah, just slayed me. I don't know if that was intentional that they put that in there as an Easter egg, but called them bugs. You can't. I would can't believe either one. I would believe either bugs. Way. Yeah. So good. Uh, yeah, um, no, I think we talked about just about it. Go ahead, Corey. Well, I was just, uh, since you were thinking of random stuff, I was thinking of that, the theater scene where they're doing the Faust play. And I just thought of, when I watched it, the chaos that was going on with the cowboys down below and the herps above. Um, you know, you, you hold your heroes higher. So they were up in the box seats, all the herps, Doc Holliday. And the Cowboys below and Kurt Russell kept looking down and there was just pure chaos down there. And I thought it was a great way to show I I have to imagine that there was chaos. They're shooting at the actors on the stage. I mean, it's just <laughs> the the filth of the scene. I, I mean, as a teacher, I'm looking at it and thinking this is a classroom out of control kind of thing. Like, oh, my gosh, this is just this is terrible, you know, and I wouldn't even be like even though the herb standing there watching it, not saying anything, I'm thinking. How could you even watch a show and have entertainment when this chaos is going on below? Well, I, I can offer some uh, clarification on that, Corey, about, as to how that happens. Uh, there is a theater here in Dallas called Pocket Sandwich Theater. It's been in operation for over 30 years. And half of their season every year is a series of melodramas that they do. Audience participation melodramas going back to the olden days of theater. And they'll, you, you can buy uh, unsalted popcorn to throw at the, at the, at the, the cast as the show is going on and the audience is encouraged to respond and participate. Uh, I've done one of those. I was one of the villains. I was one of the bad guys. Um, it's very difficult to keep your, uh, to keep your focus, uh, especially when, yes, especially when you're walking off stage and you hear someone go, Ooh, I like those pants. <laughs> yeah. The pants I had on were very, very tight, very red and very tight. Um, but, uh, it, it's great fun. Some people love it. I did it once and that was enough for me. But uh, yeah, um, it, it happens. And, and of course, they serve alcohol as well. Uh, it's a popular place for bachelorette parties. So you, you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Wild, wild west. So uh, we talked about Hero's Journey. Corey outlined that at the beginning. So we've crossed that off our list. Thank you. World building. We've talked a lot about the authenticity of this film as well. So I'm going to move us down to, to final thoughts. So just anything else that we've missed earlier or just wrap up final thoughts, Jeff, we'll, we'll start with you. Uh, I, I think everything I'm looking at in my, in my, my final thoughts, we've already talked about. Um, but the, the one thing that we haven't talked about is Doc's speech about Johnny Ringo needing revenge. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's looking for a reckoning. He just needs, got a great big hole in the middle of him. He just needs revenge. And he says, for what he says for being born. That sounds to me a lot like an untreated and undiagnosed mental illness, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Sounds like he's got clinical depression 
or something's going on there, some sort of bipolar disorder that's going on there. But that speech is so wonderful. That went in the speech that Doc tells at the end of the movie about falling in love with his cousin and her joining a convent. As as goofy and as as large as this, as this performance is, those two speeches remind you this is a real person and Val Kilmer is one of our greatest actors at this point in his career. And uh, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned those. Uh, but everything else on my list is I mean, the, the gunfight is impeccably shot and edited and it seems to be mostly accurate. It happened fast, happened fast in real life. Um, I'm going to have to go watch this again now to see Frank Stallone and to see uh, the other things you guys have mentioned. Nice. Corey, what about you? you any, any final thoughts you want to mention before we wrap up? I think when you look at the star power of this movie and you look at the 90s when this came out, this was an incredible launch or an incredible continuation of some of these guys' careers um, to paint them in absolutely incredibly cast from top to bottom. Every character in here is cast well. I think I love this movie because it's, while it's a historical movie with um, actual characters, you you have to go in realizing you're not going to see a history biopic. You're going to go in and you're going to see a good story with some liberties, but it's going to be an entertaining story. It's going to be a story that reels you in with amazing shots, amazing scenes, footage. The lines and the dialogues are not forced at all. They really pull you into the drama of the characters of each one. And I'm not just talking about the hero. I'm talking Val Kilmer's lines, Sam Elliott's lines, even Bill Paxton, everyone, Powers Booth. Every line from every character is is absolutely incredible and well written. So uh, I think this is this is a top five Western movie. And if you ask most people, this this movie has to come out as a top five for most people. Corey, I want to ask, and then I'll share mine. What are your top five Westerns? My top five Westerns? I'm going to go with, now here's the thing. I think, I don't think Kevin Costner's Wyatt Earp <clears throat> was great. I think uh, some of his lines and the way he delivers them in that movie are very, felt like a TV show, mm-hmm. like a, a little mini series or a history biopic. Like the lines are terrible, I think, um, and just not delivered well. They have star power over there too in the Wyatt Earp show. Um, but Kevin Costner going to open range. Open range is, is in my top 10. It's in my top 10. Yeah. Top 10. So I, I would put open range in there. I would put tombstone in there. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, John Wayne's movie just because it's the classic that I love is, um, the one El Dorado. And then he remade it the second one. Um, so he made that movie twice. Yeah. Rio Lobo, I think was the second Uh, one. Yeah, and I love those two, and so I count those as one because it's basically the same story with with different actors except John Wayne, um, and that's that's purely that's purely a fan favorite because I watched it with my grandpa all the time. So um, that and then Unforgiven yep. with Clint Eastwood, I think is a great one. It is. It's and, my number one. And then uh, that's and that's a dark one. That's a dark one. And then. Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, I would also go with. Oh, we broke him, Craig. I don't know. You broke, you broke me. I got <laughs> on the spot. Thinking, I start thinking of all the movies and then. Okay. Well, I'll, give my, I'll give you my, five maybe, I'll give you my five. I'll give you my five. Maybe it'll jog yours. Yes. So my, my top five are Unforgiven, like we talked about. It's one of my favorite movies ever. 
Blazing Saddles. And Blazing nice. Saddles, if I do my top five of all time, Blazing Saddles actually comes in above Unforgiven. But if we're just talking Westerns, Blazing Saddles is number two. Uh, after that is going to be uh, uh, Rio Bravo with uh, John Wayne, Dean Martin, and Rick Nelson. After that is going to be um, probably Stagecoach. And number five is Tombstone. Yeah, Tombstone. Tombstone is actually probably third, but uh, I, I forgot that that was the one we were talking about tonight. I was trying to, what, what movie is number, oh, it's Tombstone. So those are my top five. Uh, Red River could easily slip into the top five as well, uh, as well as another movie called Winchester 73 with James Stewart that is about a gun. The movie is about a gun and like the hands that it, that it, passes through in the lives that it takes it's a really interesting film came out in the uh i believe the late 50s early 60s and if you ever have a chance uh john wayne's last western is called the shootist yes uh, directed by uh don simpson uh, don uh, don siegel who directed the dirty harry movies um has uh, ron howard in it as a, it's sort of it's sort of like the precursor to unforgiven yes he plays this aging gunfighter who's dying of cancer as John Wayne was at the time. Anyway, sorry. Sorry, Craig, got us off on a tangent, but I no, just had to you're add. fine. Okay, but I gotta throw this one out there. Magnificent Seven, the remake with Denzel. That's in my top five. That's a good I've never seen the original, believe it or not, but I have seen the remake. Remake is a fun western. It's a fun movie. Hmm. The remake is absolutely, I think, incredible. Incredible movie. Uh the 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 original one's good, but the story is not as well written as as what the remake was. And Denzel does a great job. That whole cast from top to bottom is one of those two and of course silverado which i had not seen until a few yeah. years ago i was oh, recording so with good. matt one night craig we were recording splash page and i mentioned that i hadn't seen it uh later on that week the blu-ray showed up on my on my doorstep he would <laughs> be a copy because he's like it's it's ridiculous you've never seen silverado so yes yeah how did we not mention clint eastwood how's clint eastwood not in one of these westerns that we talked about I mean, that's well, he's an unforgiven he said unforgiven oh he's an unforgiven oh my gosh he kind of yes. directed it and started yeah. in it yep. yeah yep. yeah but i'm thinking I'm thinking his classic stuff, like Good, Bad, yeah. and Ugly. Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That's on my list. I mean, For I, a few I dollars just, more is actually my favorite of those three. Believe yeah, I like, I like all those. All those. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid did not get mentioned, but I love that film. Have you guys seen The Old Man and the Gun? No. Robert Redford? It's it's a west it's it, it's it's a stretch to call it a western. Came out a few years ago. It's actually directed by a guy who's from here in in Dallas. Uh, but Robert Redford plays this this uh, aging uh, bank robber. He's like the last bank robber, and it's it's set in the 70s. It's based on a true story. You should check it out. It's short. It's like less than – it's about 90 minutes long. Really, really good film. Nice. So, yeah, I, I we do film on a tangent, but that's totally fine. I mean, I think that all of these have that one thing in common. That we're, we're, What we're looking at is, yes, they're based on historical fact, but what we're interested in is, is it a good ride? Is it a fun film? And I think we can all agree that Tombstone is definitely – a fun film very much so absolutely so jeff uh thank you again for being here in, the, in this stint and for for stepping in appreciate that so very much i want to make sure that you have another chance to plug what you've got coming out okay uh, sure uh as always you can head to marvindogmedia.com or just uh go anywhere uh where you look for podcasts and look for marvin dog media and you should find all of my shows, but if you prefer to look them up one at a time, you can look up Talking Toys with Taylor and Jeff to hear my buddy Taylor and I, I'm the Jeff in that scenario, talk about uh, vintage toys. 
you can look up the pilot episode in which which uh, my old roommate Corey and our friend Regina talk about television shows. We review the first episode of a different TV series every time out and talk about how it set us up for what came after it with the series. You can also look up the Saturday morning supercast, which is also me and my old roommate Corey with our friend Olivia talking about Saturday morning cartoons and breakfast cereals. And you can look up Star Wars Splash page with uh, me and my buddy Matt Moore, who used to cover comics for the Associated Press. Uh, we review each week's uh, Star Wars comics coming out from Dark Horse and Marvel. That comes out every Wednesday. Nice. And Corey, I just want to thank you for gump for jumping on, and and I'm I'm thinking you're going to be back. Is that? I, I think I you had a good time. It. Yeah. Really, what sitting around talking about shows and then hearing great opinions from awesome people is uh that's right up my alley. So. Why wouldn't I want to come back? Excellent. Excellent. Because we, we got more of these coming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just you give me the date. You tell me the movie. Excellent. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. We'd love to hear your feedback, and it really helps us get the word out about the podcast. If you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies. And one last thing, our next episode will be a review of Man of Steel. I've been waiting for this one for a while. Uh, and also, it's our second anniversary, second year of doing the podcast. So we'll be talking a little bit about that as well. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Man of Steel or the show as over the last two years. Uh, and we'll share it on the next episode. 